0: okay it's a morning broadcast it is bright and early six in the morning on uh, six in the morning in phoenix and uh, we're recording live from the walking bud bud is up he's excited to be up he's sniffing around here he's gonna see what he decides to do there come on bud Here we go. Let's go down. We're walking downhill. Sun's up. There's a few clouds in the sky. It's a little more humid now, but it is 91 degrees. That's the low today. 91. Pretty amazing. We're going up to 110. 110, and it's uh, my birthday. My ketchup birthday, as I like to call it. Heinz 57 ketchup. And uh, Yeah, we'll get this early walk in, and then we're going to watch England and Sweden play. And, uh, Oma's, Oma's making strudel already. She was up early, making strudel. So we'll have a bunch of people come over for, to enjoy the strudel. And that's, that's going to be a good day. It's Saturday. It's not bad. And, uh. Happy anniversary to one of my listeners. Might be my only listener. <laughs> the listener with four kids, the young ones. I think they're under eight. Must be that is tough. So, shout out to Colorado. Nice and cool up there. Anyway, yeah. So, Incredibles 2. 2. We have some spoiler alerts. Watch out. Uh, we did go to to see Incredibles 2 and well done, good storytelling, good hero's journey. There's a formula for it. Just, you know, be creative with the formula. We always have to have a bad guy or a bad girl. And then the heroes are gonna save the day, right? So the hero's journey, pretty much the foundation, but well done. There's so many ways to run the hero's journey, right? Um, yeah, it's pretty fascinating how writers and, um, creative people can use their art to do that. So, yeah, what else? The Incredibles, um, Elastigirl was pretty good. She was very prominent. And, uh, the hero, pretty much the hero. But they all, they all came into it, even Jack-Jack. jack jack Jack, Jack, the baby. <laughs> so it's really entertaining. What other observations? So other observations are how. Uh, you know, some people say it's cultural change. So, for example, this theater has been here for twenty five years, and they used to just have your traditional seats in it here. You know, a theater full of, let's say, a hundred and some seats. I don't know. Maybe maybe 120 and then they did some uh, they probably this is where it's not so much a cultural change like we would observe it today and say well yeah back in the 90s the theater would have 120 seats or so and we'd all be sitting in these chairs that were um, relatively restricted they weren't as uncomfortable as an airline seat but you know they were just kind of pack them in there and and you just show up and then you you'd want to sit in the middle and you'd go to a time when it wasn't so packed let's say and get in the middle up i mean nobody really wants to sit in the front row you know leaning back and having this huge screen in front of your face so they uh um changed the model i think they must have ran some statistics and said well, really, you know, we we get maybe 60 people, like half the load in the theater on new openings maybe on average, but for the most part, you know, obviously opening day on some Star Wars things are probably 100% packed, but that's pretty rare, right? So they probably figured out that, you know, what if we made it more comfortable? What if we put these fancy seats in? And now they serve beer in the lobby, right? And you can have beer and wine and, and alcohol and so forth. And these, these seats that like recline. And uh, hey bud, come on. What do you wanna do, bud? You wanna go this way? All right, we'll walk over here. So they have the seats that recline. So now, now if you look at the theater, maybe they can only hold 40 or 50 people or 40 to 60 but all the seats are more comfortable and cushy. And and our observation is that, oh, wow, this is great. They really care about us and blah, blah, blah. And they do, I mean, they wanna sell tickets to the theater. And they figured, well, we could do this. They probably said, well, let's analyze the numbers. And they determined that they could put in all these big seats and make it a lot more comfortable and really they won't be limiting that many people because here it is probably a couple weeks from the Friday night a couple weeks from the movie opening and we didn't have a problem getting good seats right in the middle and uh, it was great so of course The other factor is they need to have new movies coming out like every couple weeks so that they can get that initial enthusiasm and then they kind of die away. But we enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. The Incredibles. And your host on the podcast is always observing stuff. (laughs) I'm observing the seats and uh you know that's uh made it more comfortable for us and one of my themes in the previous podcast was the means of production well actually previous it was last night um came up with that the government owns the means of production which totally takes out any kind of creativity and artwork so if this theater owner and people that are kind of quote unquote running it they really if the government runs everything then they don't really think. People don't think, they're not creative. They would never come up with big seats. They'd never, they wouldn't care. They'd just be like, well, the government's running this movie theater. And so we're just gonna stick with 120 seats. We don't care if people come in. In fact, there probably wouldn't even be many movie theaters at all. And there would be no people creating great heroes' journeys movies like Incredibles 2 because they'd wait around for the government to say hey, what's the hero's journey? And the government doesn't understand. They have no, let's see if I can pontificate this one. Under that philosophy, the the government owns the means of production. There's no creativity. And there's no how can you tell, hey writer, writer, make me a funny movie. What's funny? (laughs) there's nothing funny in in socialism, right? Where's the humor? I don't know, were there any there might have been great philosophers and writers like Bertolt Brecht. He's probably he's probably a really staunch communist, marxist, socialist or whatever. But it's all theory, it's all brainiacs, it's all it's all people that like can toy around with philosophical ideas in their heads. But it doesn't, it's, it's a lot of it's disconnected. So, so easily we disconnect theory from practicality and reality. So, my question as I'm stumbling on, is where were the, the really good socialist communists? I mean, there's, there's um, comedians that are liberal, let's say, under that bent, political bent, or that hate capitalism, let's say. But if they're, but where were the East German and then where are the Russian um, comedians? There's not a whole lot of funny going on over there. Especially if, you know, if the general theme is that the government owns the means of production. So it makes me think of like, well, this knowledge based economy that we live in and uh, knowledge can't be Disseminated like creativity knowledge, creative knowledge can't be disseminated from a government. It's just, it's just like impossible. So, how, uh, you know, I don't know, there probably were some court gestures, so to speak, of the uh, East Germans. And I think they had their entertainment shows of some kind, but they were all run by the government, so they probably weren't really that funny. Kind of like Trabants aren't really. Interesting cars. Trabant was the East German car model. They only had one. They didn't have Mercedes, Audi, BMW, Volkswagen. Four very high-quality German automakers. The East Germans had the Trabant. And you had to wait a long time to get one. And it had 28 PS. Fahrstärke. PS. We'd call it Horsepower. But they they call it faredstarka, which is literally translated horse power. So highly underpowered cars. Really lightweight. And, um, yeah, that's the means of production. The government owned the means of producing a Trabant. And it was pretty crappy. And... uh, really didn't meet the demands of society but the society's demands were told to be quiet. (laughs) You don't you don't have needs in society anymore because we tell you everything so it's I guess if you if you say the corollary corollary to the government owns the means of production they also own the demand curve, and if you don't like it, they'll they'll tell you to to shut up because you, you can't have independent thought, independent demand, desire. But that's we all know that's human, the human desire, human human um, desiring for something better, and that's what art is. Art is a creative product. So I really don't know how socialists, Marxists, whatever can justify art. there is there must be no art in their system. So there you go. what else what else what else? the means of production Oh yes, the means of production. Um, yeah, incredible storylines, spoiler alerts, what spoilers do I have? Oh, there was a good movie coming out. It's called uh, something like, I forget where it is. I'm not going to go there. Something about Asians. So I have a little Twitter spat going on with some some dude who's Asian. He keeps telling us how important it is. Like it has this concept of the, the dominant group. And the subdominant group. And, you know, he's just ranting on the social justice warrior stuff. And technically, I'm, I'm a white guy, right? So apparently I'm in the dominant group. And, uh, and in, being in the dominant group, I really don't see helps me at all. So it absolutely doesn't do anything. So it's like a false construct. And uh, it's really a pain in the butt. Because, outlier, man. Where is the outlier? Where is the gift? And um, that's gift knows no race skill. I mean, look at the NBA, for example. Lots of minorities in the NBA because what they? they can do something. They have a skill. They're an outlier in shooting basketballs. Same with any sport. Baseball's a weird one. I mean, hitting a baseball is like one of the hardest things. Michael Jordan tried to do it. He couldn't, couldn't do it. Just hitting a simple baseball, Right. So there's outliers, and this is baseball season, which, ironically, is really a pretty boring sport for the most part. And yet, Americans will look at the World Cup and say, ah, World Cup, so boring. The score is like 1-0, stuff like that. But it's two hours of pretty much excitement, if you want to look at it that way, strategy. Little things going on and today we have England and Sweden going at it. We'll see how that turns out. Um, What else? Yeah, my Twitter spat, so I looked at an article, I guess 70 million, is that what it was? I think that's what they said. Twitter has cleaned up 70 million Twitter accounts. And um, that is um, a lot. And what they mean by that, like they mean like fake accounts, fake um, usernames. So, like, I'm, I have my own fake name, which I enjoy. And uh, I really like it because then I think we should have kind of anonymous. Accounts, Twitter, if you really want to exchange ideas, the best way to do it to me is a little bit anonymous because if some if you go on and you know you have a brand of yourself, then people will attack you know like your brand they won't listen to what you're saying because they they immediately people are just so bad at making assumptions you know or putting people in groups, this whole concept of grouping people. Come on, bud, i, I got to go home, bud. This is going to be a short podcast. I took some vitamins on an empty stomach with coffee, and it's not agreeing with me. So, bud, we got to head home. Um, so Twitter, yeah, I've got my anonymous account. It's still active, still there. I really like my guy. He kind of looks kind of (laughs) real. And, uh, yeah, I can tweet stuff, you know. It's fun. And uh, I like that. And, like, there's recently been a few people getting criticized over their tweets, right? Like, oh, you tweeted this, and now we're going to have to fire you from your job or right? oh yeah that's right Roseanne Barr she had that show going on and she tweeted something as herself so that raises to me like a interesting dilemma like what if it's like it's like if you're going to exercise your her brand like her Roseanne it's her she's more powerful than most of us right she has a public persona and whether we like it or not people have granted her some kind of um, elevated status or important status so when she tweets something people take it more seriously so that's uh, Roseanne's brand she tweeted something under her name and came under attack for it. But it's all, it's just a tweet, people. It's just a tweet, you know? And then you're, they, it's kind of scary in a way that the, the um, political control in these areas because if she gets railroaded out because of a tweet, then does she have that much freedom? I mean, people will argue, I'm sure, that, well, that's her. She chose to do it, and she did it, and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's easily deniable. That's what I'm saying. It's like, well, how do you really, are going to have an, someone going to go do a digital deep dive on her phone and say, yep, Roseanne, this phone, where the tweet originated from, was in her house, and you know, not that there couldn't have been 20 other people in her house. And Jack Jack from Incredibles 2 got a hold of her phone and tweeted something, you know. It's and it, it's just like it's the yeah, that's what it is. It's the court of public opinion is stronger than court because she apparently she's you know, you'd say she lost millions of dollars in the court of public opinion. And, um, and, and it's rather sad, right? And uh, to me, I mean, I, it's, I don't defend her, ex, I don't even rem- I guess her comments were, I remember them vaguely, but they're not worth going into really. To me, the concept, the important concept is, is what is Twitter. And should Twitter have the power to ruin someone's well or put a chunk. She Roseanne's gonna be fine, right? She's gonna survive this and she'll be okay. But man, the the pressure from public opinion was really beaten down on her. And um yeah caused her to cave in and, quote-unquote, she's honest and said she took, quote-unquote, responsibility or ownership over her tweet. But it's almost like the Nazis showing up at your door and saying, are you hiding any Jews in your house? Right? I mean, are, are we morally obligated to tell the truth when... You know that if you say, "Yeah, I got Nazis, I got Jews in here," and that the Nazis are going to take them away and uh, take them to a concentration camp and kill them, are we uh, morally obligated to tell the truth? That's why the plausible deniability is what to me Twitter is all about, and I wish more people would take that position—that it's just Twitter, and we can quote those, the court of public opinion was mostly led by Hillary Clinton supporters. So they should just quote Hillary and say, what difference does it make now? As four people were killed in Benghazi because it was September 11th, it was two months before an election that the weakness of that administration and power allowed four Americans to get killed. So yeah, that's a little bit worse than than tweeting something. (laughs) Although they did blame the Benghazi on a video. Poor guy. Poor guy made a video and now he was, was actually thrown in prison for a while. Pretty tragic. Someone should write his story. Track that guy down. See if he wants to write the video. Benghazi, the video story. So, there's that. What else have we got in the Twitter sphere? The court of public opinion. The plausible deniability. So, with Twitter, there's no point in uh, hanging on. No point in hanging on, baby, to Twitter as a legal document. Of course, that would be a good question for my listeners in Colorado that have a lot more legal understanding than I do. But I would think that a strategy, legit, is just do denial. I mean, what? I mean, is there some legal? I don't know. Maybe, maybe public opinion wouldn't buy it. And maybe even though I have an anonymous thing, and someone might track it to me. I'm still going to. De- I mean, why not deny it? <laughs> Whatever. Oh, did, I, did someone tweet something from my account that was objectionable? I'm sorry, but I really don't think that was me. I can't remember and all the excitement do a little dirty hairy arm this is my Twitter uh, account can shoot hold six rounds my my Twitter can hold six this is a uh, dirty hairy right and and all the excitement did I tweet did I tweet five tweets Wait, did I tweet six Tweets or only five? Was it six tweets or only five? So do you feel lucky, Punk? (laughs) As Dirty Harry holds his iPhone face with his Twitter account to a guy quivering from fear of Dirty Harry's next tweet. Will Dirty Harry's next tweet slay the man? Well, well, dirty. That's that's a pretty good image. I like that, Dirty Harry. The power of the tweet. The tweet. Only the only thing is, it's a. Twitter's not limited to five, six shots, so. It kind of breaks down, but you. You get the idea, right? I mean. Did I. Did I send out six tweets? Or only five? Do you feel lucky, punk? (laughs) But then the Twitter geeks would be like, wait, Clint Eastwood has multiple rounds in his Twitter account. He's not limited to six tweets. Oh, my gosh. So there you go, folks. And deleting your tweets, that should be allowed. But they, and they shouldn't... You should be able to, like, tweet something and go, nah, that's not good. And it should disappear. You know? Should... Uh, are we going to stand before God at the end of our lives and every tweet that we have sent out that we're going to be held accountable for in some way. Maybe, hopefully, we're cracking up. Hopefully, God's laughing at the insanity and uh, getting it. So, I am going to end the podcast. This is a short one. And uh, we'll uh, check in with you later because I am home. Enjoy your July 7th. Amen.